This week on the Physio Foundations podcast, I'm talking to physiotherapist Udari Kolumbage about pelvic floor dysfunction and about her pathway from graduate physiotherapist to PhD student to early career researcher. Welcome back to Physio Foundations for another week where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So in this episode, I'm going to have a conversation with colleague of mine, a workmate of mine, physiotherapist, Dr. Udari Kolumbaj, who's another Monash Uni physio graduate and now a staff member and um, a recent PhD graduate and an emerging expert in the area of pelvic health and pelvic floor dysfunction and research and clinical practice. So Udari's just finished her PhD investigating pelvic floor dysfunction in women with breast cancer. And last week, in our department, we were lucky to hear from Yudari in our research seminar series, and where she gave us a really interesting summary of her research and some take-home points um, that you can use in the clinic. But that doesn't help you one bit because you weren't there. Unless you work at Monash Uni Physiotherapy, um, you don't get to share any of that. So I wanted to get Yudari on the podcast to share this knowledge and her work that she's doing with you, because I think you'll find it really interesting. So Yudari Kolobaj, welcome to Physio Hi. Foundations. Hi. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. Great that you could come on because what you presented last week, obviously just at, to, in our department, was just really fascinating the way you structured your PhD and the questions you're asking. Uh, I had so many follow-up questions, but we only had five minutes for questions. So I thought, <laughs> let's do this on a podcast. So why don't we start with you? Um, tell us a bit more about your background and interests and experience and qualifications all about your diary. Yeah. Um, so I did my Bachelor of Physiotherapy with honours at Monash University. Um, so that was my undergraduate degree. I graduated in 2017. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed that course and it really gave me that introduction to research um, which was fantastic. You know, I was lucky enough to study under, um, well, now Emirates Professor Jenny Keating for my research units, and she just was just amazing at talking about research and that passion that she had for research, Yeah, really inspiring. Um, so that really got me interested in research. Um, but during my undergraduate years, I didn't really, didn't really know where exactly I wanted to research in. You know, I knew I had an interest in research and I really liked the way research can change the lives of the patients that we work with as physiotherapists. Um, but I knew there was a lot of skills that I still had to um, develop in terms of, you know, specific researchy type of skills as well as communication and presentation and data analysis and things like that as well. Yeah. Um, so I thought I would finish up my degree, my undergrad degree, and then perhaps, you know, go into clinical practice, you know, experience a, a wide range of fields and then sort of look into where I want to get into research. Mm. Um, so... You know, I sort of looked for those opportunities, but, you know, at the back of my head, I was still re interested in getting into research. So I did sort of have a chat to a lot of my colleagues as well as um, my 
um, teachers and lecturers at the uni and um, one of my very inspiring um, mentors has been Dr. Sui. So when so I talked to Sui and she sort of said, you know, I'm really interested in research, you know, how do I get into this pathway um, to become a researcher in this field? And she sort of, you know, asked me to reflect back on where I have, you know, worked recently and, you know, where I really want to research, you know, what sort of field I want to look into. Um, so I took that advice back and I worked for a couple of months. Um, I was sort of working in private practice as well as doing some locum work in rural Victoria. Um, and in that role, I was sort of working across a lot of different cancer clinics Um, and working very closely with women with breast cancer for quite a long time um they were really they were really in need of physio services there Mm. um and you know a lot of my skills there were very foundational you know I didn't have any specific training in women's health or you know um treating women with breast cancer at the time So I was relying quite heavily on some of the senior clinicians that were in that area that had experience working with these women. Um, And they were happy to mentor you because you you wanted to be doing working in that area and also it was in demand as well. Absolutely. And they really needed the help as well. So it was a priority for them to put that time and effort into me and my skills to try and, you know, get that role and get that skills up to scratch so that I can be providing these services to people that live in that rural Victoria side. Mm. And Um, yeah, so go on. um, Yeah. So we, I had a couple of months under, under, um, that team there in rural Victoria um, and there I really enjoyed working with women with breast cancer. It was, you know, I found a passion of mine um, and, you know, I was really doing a lot more of that lymphedema treatment and, you know, um, sort of endurance and strengthening type of work post-surgically rather than anything specifically related to pelvic health. Um but I did notice a couple of women that were struggling with incontinence as well as sexual dysfunction, which was quite a well-known um, complication of breast cancer treatment. Um, but, you know, as I tried to seek guidance from a couple of the senior clinicians, you know, we really didn't know how best to help these women. And we sort of looked to literature to see what was already out there and, you know, how we can be guided guided by the evidence that's already out there. And there really wasn't too much available for us to, you know, go get on with um, at that point. And, you know, we just sort of assumed that, you know, anything that would work with women with breast cancer would also, or women without breast cancer would also work with women with breast cancer. And we just sort of, you know, went through the normal pathway of pelvic health and we're just referring women to that um, health services that are sort of already out there. Um, But, you know, as it is with all services in rural Victoria, it's very, very low and the demand is very, very high. So, um you know, we were directing these women to these services, which, you know, we didn't actually know if it was going to work. Um, we just knew what was best for um, our clients and what the evidence had shown us. 
Um, but you know, it didn't really sit well with me that this was what we were doing. And I sort of wanted to contact the experts in the field, um, in pelvic health specifically. So, um, luckily, um, associate professor Helena Frawley, who is an expert in pelvic health, um, in Melbourne was working at Monash University at the time. So I reached out to her and chatted to her and I also sort of, um, explained my interest in research at the time and she sort of you know took a lot of time to sit down with me and discuss you know where to sort of go from here and we did a bit of a little bit of background work and reading and see and we just sort of planned out this whole research um degree that sort of came about together in the four years after that so it sort of came, you know, from one thing to the other and I wasn't expecting to go down this degree. You know, I had the ambition to do so, but I really didn't know um, how to really get started in the field. But I'm really happy that, you know, I went down this path and I've just had the most fantastic mentors to guide me along the way. Yeah, yeah you, this was, your PhD was really driven by the clinical question, not yeah. necessarily by the pathway that you were going to go towards a PhD. We've talked about that before on previous episodes, the motivation for doing further study and doing a PhD. It's really, you, this is the dream interview because you are answering all the things I wanted to ask you. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really easy. It's really good. So, so in undergrad, in the undergrad years, you said something that's a touch unusual in that you really enjoyed research. <laughs> and then you, you came back around, you said, okay, I've got these clinical problems that I need to look at the research to answer and the research is a bit threadbare and, and lacking and that's where you can contribute, you can do your PhD and, and actually do that research. So it's a really nice circle that you found in, in the sort of four or five years of practice. So if we go back a step, what did you enjoy about research? So in an entry to practice degree, there's always elements of research. Yeah. Um, what about it was enjoyable? I think the main thing for me is um, I remember having a very specific lecture um, by Emirates Professor Jenny Keating, and she was talking about how we can disseminate the results of research and how that can then, you know, translate into practice. And, you know, she was saying that, you know, it takes, it can take, you know, up to six to nine years for research to actually translate yeah. into, into practice. And I just thought, wow, that's, that's a very long time when you think that, you know, you publish one paper and you can just change, you know, the way physios are working all around the world. And, you know, that's really not the case. So she was really pushing for research and she was really trying to explain that as a physio, we are lifelong learners and a part of being a lifelong learner is to be curious and, you know, looking for things and questioning things and trying to understand how things work a little bit better. Oh, yeah. And I think that was just the most fantastic thing um, to really inspire us to go into this path of research. Mm, and it doesn't have to be something that you uh, apply to research or go on and do the research yourself, just to be yeah. curious and investigate things and ask questions is, Absolutely. and be a lifelong learner is such an important part of this career, that we're all, this career path we're all on. So, then you, so you, you, then you're in a PhD, which you're passionate about because you've had that experience working with people and it's driven by the clinical questions. And actually an interesting point you made about 
was was about some of the work you were doing with people prior to having experience in doing um, pelvic floor examination and and the like. So it was it was treatment that anyone with a physio degree or or other related degree could do. So you were doing. Um, I guess lymphedema treatment is a specialist area, but you're doing other things, endurance and strength work and, mm-hmm. um, and working on function and yeah, rehab goals per se- yeah, post-surgery. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I'm, I'm just, I'm talking now to, um, to graduates or, or people working in clinics and they're thinking I might be coming up on a, um, on a rotation or a private um, private mm. practice work. I might be embarking on private practice work, and I may be working with these people. Yes. Um, so, what are some what some of the non pelvic floor examination work that you can do with, or non pelvic floor work you can do with people? Yeah. So very early in this role, I was looking specifically at women after they've had their breast cancer surgeries. So yeah. working a lot on their range of movement of their shoulders. Right. Um, as well as strengthening of their shoulders and the muscles around the shoulder, that was a priority. Um, And also just sort of getting them up, mobilizing um, and, you know, getting them into these aerobic exercise sort of programs was one of the main things that I did. And I also ran an exercise group, which um, included a lot of women with a lot of different types of cancers. Okay. Um, and that was only because, you know, the demand was very high. And again, there, was, there wasn't anyone else running these programs in rural Victoria at the time. Um, and that was mainly what I was doing. And as we, I went along in this um, role, they realized that they probably need a little bit more help. Um, specifically with lymphedema management. And I had a couple of the physios work one-on-one with me to give me that training Mm. and also attending the APA course. There was a weekend course. Yeah, so Um, that's Australian Physio Association for the overseas listeners or get the courses, formal training, plus the mentoring and on-job training in that area. Yeah, Yeah. which was a really good introduction to everything and, you know, looking at and, you know, having that, ability to have a mentor there but also apply my skills into you know actually putting it into practice straight afterwards was really good for me because I could see how things worked and I could really learn quite quickly that way um and then you know having that skills and you know having that mentorship there was fantastic so you you probably did very little of that training in your uh, undergraduate, or we could just say an entry to practice degree in your first yes. physio degree, did that matter? Is it often a, a perennial topic of conversation is mm-hmm. how we need to be adding more and more and more. And we don't have enough of this and don't have enough of that. But how did you, you can't just keep adding as well. No. So we, we need to prioritize. So um, how did you manage that? How did you think- find yeah. working in that specialty area and training up on the job effectively to help people with lymphedema? Yeah, I think I had a lot of that sort of foundational knowledge from my entry to practice degree, and it was just about building on that skill. You know, there's very little that um, we perhaps don't know from our, you know, you can't just say that I didn't know anything about breast cancer from my entry to practice degree. I did have a lot of the foundations, but it's about um, going into it that little one step deeper and, you know, understanding how one thing can affect the other, for example, lymphedema, how can that affect 
the way we move our arms and actually, you know, do a lot of the things that we normally do um, with our arms. So having the the principles and having a strong foundation in in principles and skills that you then apply to specialty topics and areas is the whole point. That's why it's called Physio Foundations Podcast, what we're talking about. (laughs) Um, So then tell me about those skills a bit of a segue here with lymphedema, but what are some of the treatments and, and techniques that you do? Yes. What, what is, uh, I know that listeners will, will be very familiar. What is lymphedema and, and what are some of the skills and, and techniques and management that you use? Okay. So lymphedema often happens when, um, so after breast cancer surgery, you might be working with some of the lymph nodes within the area, especially very close to your arms. And when the lymphatic system is um, blocked, um, that lymph fluid can be pushed out to the limbs and lymphedema can happen in the arms or the legs, but it's mostly common in the arms for women with breast cancer because of that lymph nodes that are around the shoulder joint and underneath the shoulder. Um, And some of the techniques that we use is um, we can do a lymphatic drainage sort of massage as well as the um, the compression bandages that we use, so that you do it a very specific type type or a very specific way to wrap it around, and there was mm. other very um, um, sort of specific things that we did for women with breast cancer who had lymphedema. Um, the other skills were around scar tissue management after breast cancer uh, surgery that comes a little bit down the line of, you know, how do you massage that scar and how do you also try and stretch it out um, a little bit afterwards? Yeah, that's interesting. And those skills are, they're, they're simple things that are done well and done very specifically for that specific problem. So um, you've got that foundational training and then you've, you've learned you know, how to do that with that population. And so, that's the physical part of it. What sort of psychological you know, impacts are there for the women who have lymphedema and 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 have this surgery? So, and I guess a follow up question is: as a a new grad physio that you were, you're young and you just graduated. Uh, how equipped did you feel to um, to recognise the psychological impacts and to you know, to have perhaps contribute to the positive, you know, the psychological parts of the rehab? And yeah. maybe when to refer on. Can yes. you tell us a bit about that, the psychology of it all? Absolutely. And that's, uh, I guess, some of the harder parts, I think, as a new graduate going in. Um, I was very fortunate to have a um, placement at Latrobe Regional Hospital, specifically in their cancer wing, um, when I was a student. So I was, I had a little bit of experience um with treating patients with cancer in general. Um, But what I've found is patients who've had treatment for cancer are they're quite strong and they're quite motivated to sort of, you know, get that treatment at the time and then move on from cancer as a whole when they can. And that is what their focus really was is, you know, how do I go back to my pre-cancer sort of um, activity level and how do I get back to that pre-cancer life is what their focus really was on. Um, So that aspect, so what are your goals and what are your, what do you really want to get from physiotherapy was what I really focused on as Mm. a new graduate. And I really kept things 
very close to what I wanted to achieve and just linking that together and making that bridge between where I want you to go to and where they want to go to and finding that um, happy place in between was what I really looked to as a new graduate physio. Yeah, that's that's a really good answer, really interesting. You, If you think about it the other way around, if you're not having a patient-focused or a goal-focused approach, I don't know how you you could do it. You're working on impairments and and things, and not really thinking about the person and what what they what they want to do and how they're recovering. So, yeah, another great answer. So tell tell us a bit more about pelvic health. So then you so you had these general skills. You were there, and then you did you do any post grad training in um, in women's health or or no, so it's all a part of your PhD. So, yes. Yeah, so, so where did you go next from there? Yeah. So while I was um, treating these women, um, a lot of them had problems with sexual dysfunction, and I had a couple of telling of women telling me about incontinence specifically. Um, and then, you know, sexual dysfunction is very well known in women with breast cancer, and that is something that they sort of warn women about prior to having treatment. Um, and, you know, that's a combination of, yes, you can have physical impairments in your pelvic floor that can contribute to sexual dysfunction, but there are also very sort of psychosocial factors there as well that can impact on sexual dysfunction mm. um, compared to something like um, incontinence where, you know, we didn't really have too much information about that in women with breast cancer specifically. And that was when I went to my um mentors and went, you know, when I was in my undergrad degree, I was told about incontinence and I, I was told that we do pelvic floor muscle training to treat incontinence. Um, is this something that we should be doing for our women here? Um, and they said, perhaps, you know, they went, you know, if it's going to work for women without breast cancer, it might work for women with breast cancer. So let's give it a go. Um, let's refer them on to these continent services that we have um, in that region. But the wait list is about six months plus at the moment. So we referred them on. Um, as it always happens in acute hospitals, we didn't really know what the follow-up was like. We'd, we didn't really know if women actually took up that opportunity to uh, whether they even waited the six months or whether they actually went outside and saw um, a pelvic floor physiotherapist um, privately. But it was, you know, giving them that information that was really important, I think, is because no one really knew about it and we didn't really know what we were doing was correct, but we knew that they needed to be, they needed to have some sort of follow-up. Yeah. Um, so it was really nice to be able to give them and get them on that pathway to getting some treatment for pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, but again, you know, that's when it got me thinking, you know, is this the right thing that we're doing here? Um, if there is nothing really out there, then I think I really need to be contacting some of the experts in the field to see, you know, if there is anything else we can do at this point. I mean, there might be people listening to this who are thinking about all the different areas that they can go into and you don't have to choose one. You can move mm -hmm. through various areas in your career and they might think, hey, you know, I could follow a similar pathway to Udari and I could really contribute in that much needed area. See, That's people good. currently in, in that region have a, a six-month wait list. That's a long time to be waiting for that that sort of help with a problem like urinary incontinence. Absolutely. Sexual and dysfunction. That's, so that's um, 
something where you made a direct difference by for that period of time for working in that area and cutting down the waiting list and seeing people and helping them. Exactly right. And, you know, it could be as simple as directing them to the um, Continents Foundation of Australia website. Like they've got some fantastic resources that are free to access. It explains everything about why they might be, you know, experiencing that incontinence and it just gives them a starting point to sort of, you know, understand what's happening and maybe where to go and get treatment for these things. And, mm. you know, I'll talk about it, my research a little bit later and what I yeah. found from it, but a lot of what women were saying is they were trying to seek treatment and asking questions about how they can get treatment for this. And they unfortunately didn't get the answers that they were looking for is either they were brushed off saying let's focus on cancer treatment at the moment or they were, you know, they just didn't know, they didn't have any information to give out about incontinence for women with breast cancer. So that's my question. And that's the, the final question, which you've just mm. touched on. So how can the general physio, which I yeah. count myself as, you know, contribute and help when we meet people who are, for example, women, women with breast cancer, um, who have these symptoms like incontinence, sexual dysfunction. First of all, how do you find that out? a screening and an interview. I guess that's a separate question. Um, yes. And secondly, what can we do? Where can we refer people to? So you sort of touched on the Continents Foundation website and I'll pop that into the show notes Yes. Um, for people to look up. Mm -hmm. um, so on the um, Continents Foundation of Australia, they actually have a specific section for professionals okay. and under there, there is a fantastic module there for pelvic floor assessments, examinations and management. And it's, I think it's around a one or two hour um, module where, you know, clinicians can just get educated on what to do, how to actually ask these questions, you know, what's, oh, good. The, okay. way, what's the wording that you should be using and mm. how do you sort of maintain that dignity when you are asking these types of questions as well as doing a pelvic floor examination. Um, so that's a really good module. So you will have to sort of log into your um, healthcare professional logins to access that resources um, but that is out there and I think that would be the first point of call um, if you are a clinician looking into treating women with breast cancer who have incontinence. There you go. So that's really helpful. And I, I'm, I'm just trying to be cautious of just directing people who have a special interest in this area mm -hmm. or people who are currently working with that population to those sort of websites and just sort of encourage anyone who's working anywhere near perhaps a general private practice or outpatients um, to, to have a look at these resources because we right. will all be seeing, if you're working as a physiotherapist, we'll all be seeing people with exactly. a range of conditions, right? Yes. So, that, so, yeah, go on. And, you know, a website like that is really good for just the consumers or our patients as well um, because it just, you know, puts everything into layman's terms. It's got beautiful diagrams there of, you know, what might be happening and how to actually contract your pelvic floor. And he sort of guides you through um, the pathophysiology as well as how to sort of seek treatment for it. And it has the links there if they want to sort of self-refer as well to any services. So I just think there's a lot of resources on that website. And I have previously, you know, sat down with a patient and gone through that website and they were just so enlightened by all the information that is out there. And it was just a one-click stop to, yeah. you know, all, the, all that's out there. 
Yeah, Christian Sadnik, who was on a few mm-hmm. episodes ago, he who we both know from also from Monash Uni Physio. So Christian talked about being resource aware, which was such an important skill in the current age, where there are things available for practitioners, such as the Continents Australia website, with all the resources mm-hmm. and information that you've just described that you might not know about. And just by becoming resource aware and bookmarking that one and then sharing it with people. And that's why we're having this conversation today to, to, to share this knowledge. Um, you can step out of the darkness into the light. <laughs> exactly right. Quoting Pantera lyrics now. Um, and then have that and just have such, such benefits just from one, um, one resource. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. You, you alluded to your PhD findings a couple of times, and we're going to do part two of this conversation just so we can give it the time that it deserves because you've got quite a story to the series of studies you did in your PhD. So that's going to be specifically about um, urinary, urinary incontinence for women with breast cancer. But there's, it's not if, if, that's, if you don't identify that as your topic or your special interest area, I encourage you to have a listen anyway just to, talk, just to think about the way to ask questions and the way that Udari went through a series of studies, but also just have a think about how you could ask similar questions in your area. Or if you work with or happen to work with people who have urinary contents or sexual dysfunction, you can get more comfortable with, uh, you know, potentially asking the questions or referring them on. So that there was a, I found there was a, a lot in that presentation um, and I, th- I thought it was really good. So we're going to basically do that presentation again in the next episode. So stay tuned. That'll come out the week after this one comes out. Um, but anything else that you wanted to add on the general uh, pelvic health or general topics we've been talking about today before we get into your research? Mm, I think... Um it's very important that we don't sort of shy away from, you know, talking about incontinence, especially if you feel that this is someone who's at higher risk of developing incontinence, because we do know that disclosure rates are very low um, in women, you know, specifically. So, you know, just don't shy away, you know, get educated, know the proper way to ask these questions and, you know, if you identify that this is something that they want help with, there are resources out there to help you um, direct them in the right way. Brilliant. That's a great summary and really good advice. So thanks very much, Yudari. Well, we'll leave this episode here. We're going to come back and talk about your PhD research and uh, what you found in the next episode. Um, and then it, perhaps at the end of there, we'll talk about, you know, lead people towards your more research um, social media, research um, uh, websites and everything else. So thanks everyone for joining you, Dari and I, in this conversation, a really important topic. And as usual, just keep sending me your emails and DMs that are coming in. Eventually I'll get around to giving some of you shout outs for some of the ideas you've given me for episodes and um, some of the comments and and, um, engagement that you've been doing. But thank you. I do appreciate keep sending them in and you can track me down in all the details are in the show notes on social media and find my handles in there. Um, Yudari, um, we'll leave. I was going to ask you where, if you're on social media and if you've got any, that's a no, probably a good idea. Stay off that, but um, it can be a dark place, but we'll put your details in the, the next lot of show notes, but thanks very much for a great conversation. Thanks Luke.
So until next time, this is Yudari and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.